Hello everyone. So this episode, as well as reviewing Jamming with Edward, we're going to be taking a look at the character design, both our opinions on it and a little bit about the history of how it was made. So that'll be right at the end after we've talked about the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to The Real Folk Reviews. I'm Samuel, and I first saw Jamming with Edward about 15 years ago. And my name's Georgie, and I first saw this episode about an hour ago. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. So, Sam, do you think that you could effectively type with your toes? But, uh, like on a keyboard. Like, do you mean like if I tried to do it now or if I learned enough? I'm, I'm going to say if we gave you infinite amount of time. Probably not. Even with an infinite amount? Oh, you don't have a lot of faith in yourself. I just don't have a lot of faith in my toes. They're not prehensile <laughs> like Ed seemed to be. <laughs> All right, I feel like given a bit of practice, I could manage it. Like, I am a fan of doing that, you know, when you pick up something you've dropped with your feet. Oh, yes, yeah, so you don't have to touch it with your hands. Well, no, I, I'm more, it's because it's a quicker transfer to then get it to your hands. Like, I quite like doing um, at the end of the day, if you've taken your clothes off and put them on the floor, and then you grab them with your toes and flick them up and catch them in the air. I really enjoy doing that. Okay, your feet are definitely much more dexterous than mine. Ah, oh, well then, that's something we can put down on the pros and cons and, and the, our strengths and weaknesses as a, as a friendship. It should be the top item of any CV, I think. Yes, um, although a lot of people have an issue with feet. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, somebody who doesn't have an issue with feet on account of not having any is MPU out in space looking down on Earth. Oh, yes. But we, we're not entirely sure who's doing it for, for, as, as a first viewer. You don't know it's MPU. So no. you're already providing a spoiler from that perspective. What, that this character has a name? That, that, well, that they are what they are. They're not a, you know, a carbon life form. Okay, so what did you think was going on in the opening? I thought that it was someone somewhere that was lonely and causing destruction because they had access to it, not because they were a machine that oh, was lonely. That's interesting. I don't think it ever occurred to me that it was anything other than the machine acting on its own. Oh, well, what can I say? I'm either very lacking in forethought or I'm just really open to possibility. You're either more or less imaginative than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, the voice comes out <laughs> in space. Thank you. Saying, Thank you. alone, all alone. And yeah. then, yeah, starts drawing on the surface of Earth. Yeah, and I really liked the visuals we got of the lasers scoring into the Earth's surface, the different shots we got and and seeing the dust flying i did think it looked quite cool I, I enjoyed it and it added energy very quickly to the beginning of the episode i liked the opening i thought it was interesting do you know anything about the nazca lines i know a little bit and actually my main source of information is from reading a series of books by anthony horowitz when i was a teenager oh okay it's the power of five series if, if you've ever no i I read Alex Ryder, but I didn't read much no, of yeah, horror. Yeah, yeah. So um, that series is much more fantasy than the Alex Ryder ones. And there's a whole book that's talking about the NASCAR lines. So that's my, my main understanding of them and the reason I knew that that's what was being referenced. I imagine lots of people probably don't. Yeah, it's never explained. Well, MPU explains that they were made by people, but mm. that's about it. Just for our listeners... Little bit of info. They're in Peru. They were made between about 500 BCE and 500 CE, or BC and AD, depending on your preference. And yeah, they're pretty huge. They cover an area of about 190 square miles, or 500 square kilometers. And nobody really knows what they're for or why they were made. Lots of people think they do, but long story short, nobody really knows. Yeah, conspiracy theories abound. Yep. Yeah, which is very fascinating from an anthropological standpoint. And actually, I think it's a very unique way of showing us a character, you know, the, the NPU, as we learn later, being sort of fascinated by this mystery. 
Um, But also just the idea that, yeah, it created friends in some way that they could observe from above. Yeah, MPU, this is jumping forward a bit, but Mm. MPU has a line which I found really interesting where he, he says, their meaning would change every time I looked at them, which kind of suggests that it has an imagination like it is yeah it is just copying what it saw and trying to reproduce it but at the same time clearly something's going on in its mind it's sparked kind of imaginative thinking mm. um, which they do for us as humans and mm. because the scale of them again for people who don't know you have no idea what they are from ground level they just look like scores made in the ground if you're up close to them Um, massive scores made in the ground but yeah knowing that they are fantastic illustrative images that you could see from space but yeah being able to see them from being on earth you'd have to have a very specific viewpoint to to make them yeah understandable so yeah they, they are a fascinating thing we go quite instantly from this lasering of the earth's surface which actually we're not entirely sure that it's earth for a little bit we just know that it what appears to be a seemingly uninhabited planet or we certainly don't see anyone being hurt by these lasers landing on the ground so it seems sort of uninhabited at least in that area and then we're instantly taken over to who i instantly knew was the hacker kid lying having some sunbathing It was nice to have just a moment of realisation because I've been waiting for this character for some time to turn up because I knew that they would arrive, but no idea when. So as soon as I saw a bit of orange hair, I was like, ah, I know what's about to happen. We're about to meet that character. And I felt like I had somehow won a little bit of a prize. Like I've, I've learned something and I expected to learn the thing and I wasn't just taken on a ride I didn't understand, which is often what happens <laughs> in these episodes. <laughs> yep, you, you now know who that fourth figure in the opening sequence yes, is. Yes, it's taken nine episodes. Yeah. But now I know who the four main characters are. Other than that feeling of gratification, what <laughs> were your first impressions of Ed? I enjoyed the very different presence that they brought compared to all the others who have a sort of like a, a Faye isn't quiet but she has a more collected presence I suppose and so in that sense all of them do have quite a you know they, mm. they um, hold themselves in a very deliberate way whereas Ed is just a bouncy ball going yes. everywhere and physically and mentally scattered and I enjoyed that and I liked the visual representation of the hacking I thought mm. that was fun. I liked the goggles that she wears. Yeah, and the underwater fish swimming through cyberspace kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's... I enjoyed that. I thought that was cool. I felt like I was understanding the visual cues more. And I think maybe that's just because I'm getting used to the style where I knew... Because in the past, I think I would have watched that sequence where we're shown Ed and then they're lying down and then all of a sudden we're in a sort of weird fish cyber place. And But this time around, I was very clear about the fact they showed me the goggles and then they showed me what was being seen through the goggles. And I felt like I understood the mechanics a bit more of of how things were being shown to me, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah, it wasn't losing you as much. No. Okay. Well, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it will be a consistent thing. I'm sure I'll get thrown around again in the future episodes. But at least in this one, I had a couple of moments where I was like, aha! I get it, and therefore I feel good about myself. We discover that Ed is interested in the bebop for some reason, and she's excited to see that it's coming to Earth. So excited that she gets distracted from a meteor storm (laughs) or a rock shower. I guess it's not technically meteor because it's bits of the moon, but... Yeah, it just says rock shower. Yeah. Chances of rock showers are 20% or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Which... I'd have thought it would be enough on its own to go inside, but, <laughs> clearly. but that's like, you know, when you look at the weather forecast and it says, you know, a 10% chance of rain. And yeah. I only recently learned that that doesn't refer to the likelihood of it raining. It's the area over which it is will be covered in rain. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it's not just, it might rain, 20% chance. It's, no, it will rain somewhere. It's just, this is how likely it is to be on you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so there you go. You've learned from that as well. Mm. But in Ed's defence, up until being showered in rocks, the likelihood was very small. 
It wasn't. It was 20%. That's still... 20% of the area. Yeah, but it, they're rocks. They're not rain. <laughs> but for whatever reason, Ed is confident that that means that she'll be fine. I... And then all of a sudden gets showered in, re- in rocks. And yeah, and then you get the nice robot lady saying, chance of showers <laughs> has gone to 90% or something like that. Yeah, I'm not convinced that that's Ed having confidence in the forecast. I think that's more Ed's just obliviousness to her surroundings because really? she's sucked into cyberspace. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was just that it... I agree that they got distracted. Hmm. But yeah, the, the, the likelihood of the rock showers increased dramatically. And after she landed in you know, a pile, mysteriously being entirely fine... Her response is to the robot lady telling her, chances of rock showers have increased to blah, blah, blah. And she just goes, you think? Oh, Something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, so, that's She that's doesn't true. seem annoyed at herself. She seems annoyed at the robot lady. Okay. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, you're right. That that's a, actually is a dub-sub difference. In the sub, she just kind of goes, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, there, there is information about the world that maybe I should have been paying attention to. So, right, yeah. okay. Yeah, maybe I can see why that would be a difference then. Yeah. yeah. And then we quite quickly move over to the news coverage. Yes. Uh, yeah. Of the lasers that have been scoring across the ground. And we have a strange guest on the news. <laughs> yes. The, the science, well, not even the science expert at all. They're the... What what's the phrase that they use? Uh, uh, expert in the supernatural. I think one. it's something like that. Yes, in the supernatural, something like that. Cowboy Bebop is great for the side characters, and we get a lovely flurry of them in this episode. That's just yep. very brief cameos in, yeah. from these characters that in no way bring the plot forward. But that's not true. They no, th- this one really doesn't. But like <laughs> it's it, the news anchor gives you the actual information which is that the earth has been scored and then the episode devotes a couple of minutes to just some random guy speculating yeah. that they're Yuri Kellerman I wrote his yes. name down because Do you... I was going to look up Yuri Geller afterwards to see if it was taking the piss out of him yes it is okay yeah <laughs> that's, that's what it's meant to be yeah probably we're on the tail end of people even getting that reference because it's not really no I only know from a very small um, place in my head who Yuri Geller is. I think he's the guy who bends spoons. Yes. Yes, the, the boon spender. Yep. The exactly. boon spender? <laughs> hey, boon spender. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that, I think. Yeah. Did you kind of enjoy that cameo? Yeah, I thought it was weird. Because <laughs> this is really where my problems with the episode began. Because I was just <laughs> like, this seems like an awful lot of time to be spending on taking the mick out of Yuri Geller and not advancing the story or any of the Sorry, ideas at all. On this occasion, you've decided a cameo character isn't good enough compared to many other episodes that feature characters that don't forward the plot, but we have lots of time to meet them. Yeah, that's a fair point. I guess I just didn't like this one for some reason. It just. Yeah. I wonder if it was just because that's also when we're given the context of the NASCAR lines in South America is during that little yeah. bit. So for anyone who wasn't aware of, of those things, that's when you learn it. Um, and it, I wonder if there was just someone who's a bit of a nerd about the NASCAR lines who really wanted to talk a little bit about the conspiracy theories that might exist around them. And that's why it's shoved in there. But yeah, I, I thought, yeah, that's as with most why. of the cameo characters, I, I really enjoy them. So, yep. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. He had a uh, creepy voice, though. He did have a creepy voice. <laughs> he sounds like this, all sort of small and high-pitched and oh, kind of creepy American bad guy. He sounded like a deranged version of Kermit the Frog. Yes, I would I would agree with that. Like th- This is the after picture on cocaine use for Kermit the Frog. Because I can do a Kermit voice, but I don't know if I can make him sound... Um, sort of creepy and weird. Well, maybe I can. <laughs> That's just Miss Piggy. Oh, you, Miss... No, <laughs> you no. just converted from Kermit That's true, because when I do a Miss Piggy voice, all I can do is go, Hi-ya! Oh, so, Kermit, my love. Sorry. Well, I'm di- no, I'm completely undermined now, because I was complaining about wasting time, and that was just... Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yacked on about. Anyway, right. We get that, and then we get a very expositional piece of news as well, explaining basically that 
on Earth, people now live underground because of the rock showers following the gate incident, and satellites were put up into space to communicate with them. Mm. And the satellites that we see in this episode are far more... Uh, they are what we would recognise as, as satellites mm. now. So, so uh, yeah, the technology was instantly recognisable here from our time period. Yes, that's true. I mean, I guess technically they would have gone up around our time period because the gate explosion was last year. But Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, we should tell some people. Yeah, well, you'd have thought they'd have noticed. Oh, maybe that's what COVID was all along. Mm. It did make people stay indoors. Um, <laughs> Spike isn't interested in going after a hacker, and Jet and Faye are so... They decide to go looking in a very confrontational way with yeah. each other. Jet says something rather odd about being around women that I didn't expect. Because I know he's not a fan of Faye, but yeah. I didn't think that he would be... Because when Spike is saying, well, you can just go with Faye, and he says, I'm not the type to be led around by a woman. I was a bit like, Jet, I thought better of you. I'm just going to say, put a pin in that for next week. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but, yeah. There is also a line in Sympathy for the Devil where he says women easily betray others, but men live by iron codes of honour. Oh, I so, don't remember that. Yeah, he has displayed his sexism a bit before Jet. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame because I think we both like Jet quite a lot. Yeah, but, yeah. I was disappointed in him. Mm. You think he deserved to get his foot trodden on? I mean, I don't condone physical violence. No. But if that's the only way to show a curmudgeonly old dude that <laughs> you should take women seriously, uh, there are worse ways. Yep, yeah. I like the word curmudgeonly. Jet is definitely a curmudgeon. Yes, uh, particularly in this episode. Yeah. His curmudgeonliness, we're sticking <laughs> with, with this word now, just adding suffixes. Yes, uh, he seems very grumpy through this one. So, yeah, back on Earth, we have the police coming to arrest Ed. Mm-hmm. Before they actually come, you see the little remote-controlled ship that she's flying around, which, did you pick up what that was a model of? Not really. It was very... It, I didn't see it enough, I think. No, yeah, I didn't realise until kind of re-watching, certainly, but it's, uh, it's a remote-controlled model of the Bebop. Okay, I mean, that would have been my guess. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, given what comes Weirdly later. obsessed with the Bebop. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't think I can really judge her for that, given that I started a podcast about it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just Ayn. I just kind of trot along and... and... <laughs> along for the ride, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think, because um, we, we do get, obviously, some of Ed earlier doing their um, rather contortionist style of movement, but we yeah. get a lot more of it in this little interlude just before the police arrive. Where they're oh. just, yeah, walking on their hands and doing backflips and all that kind of stuff. This scene doesn't really impact on the plot at all as well. I guess it establishes that she can remote control ships. Yeah. But yes, it is just quite funny, the police coming in and trying to arrest her and then her popping out of the rubble. Yes. Looking more anime than anyone has looked I was, in this. I wrote down in my notes that she looks like a Pokemon. Yeah. In the way that her whole face transforms constantly. She is... Of all of the characters, the most Pokemon. Yeah, she does feel like she's from a different style of anime. And yeah, remote controls the police ship. And this is kind of what I was talking about as well with her lack of focus on the world around here. When she's flying the police ship, she kind of just seems to lose control of it and smash it into the earth and just be like, whoops. Oh, I thought that was on purpose to sabotage them. I think flying it was, but... And I, I don't think she was trying particularly hard to avoid it, but... The point I was more making was there's kind of a complete lack of understanding or regard of the real world consequences of her actions. I would actions. agree with that. And that tallies with, with the ending as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like how much danger she's potentially putting yeah. them in. She definitely brings some chaos. I mean, Faye brought chaos, but a different kind of chaos. Yeah, yeah Faye can be ruthless, but she generally has a bit more of an understanding of cause and effect. Yeah. Then we have... Jet and Faye flying off, and I guess this is, we see the surface of Earth like ruined cities mm. in a bit more detail, mm -hmm. and see that people are living in an abandoned train station. It sort of felt a bit like um, a caravan park in terms of the energy of the people living there and the surroundings being a bit run down mm. 
and there's trash and children running around as well and everyone is surviving but also in a way that's quite carefree yeah this is kind of an odd thing about this whole episode you're seeing a lot of kind of post-apocalyptic imagery like all these ruined cities and empty landscapes and you know people living out of rubble but there is really none of the sense of misery and hardship that usually comes in those scenarios yeah yeah we get a lovely series of cameos which i enjoy of, Mm. of various people who are living in this environment and they all seem quite chirpy we get someone who's like a middle-aged woman with a cat. And we got a 10-year-old boy who's selling... Piocos. Yeah. Piocos, whatever they are. And there's, there's a, a South Asian man with yeah. a group of other people stood behind him. And we saw a clip earlier of someone who was actually a science expert talking on a different news segment. Oh, yeah. Who um, was also... Like looked like they were probably a Sikh. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah with a they turban. both have turbans yeah. on. Yeah, and I and I, I just I liked that those different nationalities were being thrown in, but it wasn't like a plot choice in some way. It was just these are people. There is a big diversity of them, and that was really nice. Yeah, I mean, I guess in general in the world of Cowboy Bebop, you get the impression that national identity isn't necessarily a thing anymore. Mm. People don't seem to consider it relevant what colour someone's skin is or where they're from. And that's particularly kind of striking on Earth because that's where all that would theoretically come from. And yet Earth is interestingly treated like a monoculture in this thing. Mm -hmm. Like the kid says, oh, these things are a speciality of Earth. It's amusing that there could be such a thing as a speciality of just like all of Earth. (laughs) Well, I suppose, but that's the same when you move further and further out from a colony of people. So when you're in a world where people travel between planets, of course you're going to start being more general about a culture of beings that live on that planet as opposed to... I mean, if you go around the UK, you can be specific about, you know, different regions of it and the different ways that people behave in them, but you have to go broader, don't you, if you're travelling in a bigger way. Yeah, I I just found it interesting, Earth being kind of treated the way that every other planet in science fiction is usually treated. (laughs) Yes. This is what all Vulcans drink in Star Trek. Yes, that's true. I did enjoy that. And there is a gentle mockery throughout about Earth being a bit crap and the people from Earth being a bit odd. And I did quite enjoy that. And of course, Jet gets all these wild speculations about who and what radical edward is none of which tally up at all yes i i did enjoy that as well just the rumor mongering that was so wildly different across all of them was fun i guess a jumble of nonsense is kind of what earth is represented as generally in this episode yes that is the overall metaphor Uh, (laughs) then we have ed talking to mpu yes yeah the first time that ed figures out exactly what's happened here and the fact that this laser illustration was done by a lonely satellite. Did you twig the music in this scene? No, this was actually one of the first episodes where the music passed me by quite a lot. I'd, I'd recommend going back and watching this scene again just to hear the soundtrack, because the soundtrack's very weird. It's very unlike... Oh, the, the, oh, it's very beepy. Me. It sounds quite electronic. And then there's childish voice singing nonsense words in the background. I remember the soundscape being interesting during that section where she's going in and out of hearing this voice. Yeah, it's very different from what you... I mean, the the music on Bebop is very varied, but it generally sounds like you might hear it performed somewhere. This doesn't sound like something you could just play in a space and have people hear it. It sounds like there's too much electronic element Mm -hmm. to it. I know what you mean, yes. It kind of almost sounds more like this is what the inside of Ed's mind sounds like. I was thinking it was more like the inside of MPU's mind. It could be that as well, yeah. Yeah. Which would make, and if it's like a childish voice, that sort of makes sense to me. Like, obviously, the voice of the, the MPU is an um, adult male voice, but. But MPU is quite innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And lonely. Yeah. And lonely, yeah. I found it interesting that when you see this visual representation of what MPU looks like with kind of this pulsing yeah. neuron. Yeah, it looks like a neuron, doesn't it? Which is 
interesting like you could have something a bit more diagrammatic with logic gates and that kind of thing mm. but this looks a bit more organic it gives you the sense that this is maybe an ai that's a bit more squishy in the way it thinks <laughs> a bit more squishy yeah and i imagine if it's as i mean how old are we saying it is if it's since whenever the gate disaster happened on earth roughly uh, speaking about 50 years okay not that long yeah, but yeah. a long time to be in space by yourself. Oh yeah, I guess I'm just curious if if it's um you know, the development of the AI has started from a point where it was that sentient or if it's taken 50 years for it to get to a point where it's recognizing its own consciousness, its own loneliness. Mm. Yeah, that's I mean, 50 years would be when MPU went up, but it could be that it didn't achieve consciousness until recently it's mm. that's never really made yeah, clear that, well because that's the stereotype isn't it from sci-fi is is that you have an ai that develops on its own mm. and then it gets to a point where it starts being either volatile or you know curious at yeah. least like mpu is more curious but yes I, I found it quite funny that actually mpu seems not entirely sure about being called mpu it's just <laughs> like i've had this name made up for you and it goes um <laughs> yeah well and because ed isn't in any way phased by the discovery that this is the source of what's causing the problems with the lasers and just instantly like oh it's a new friend i'm gonna give you a name and we're gonna be best friends i think at least based on this episode she seems to communicate more easily with mpu than she does with the human characters do you think that's just because mpu doesn't respond as much <laughs> Possibly, yeah. The MPU so just quite a one-way sort of a friendship. <laughs> yes. She has made friends with MPU, and MPU has no choice. The scene with Ed and MPU is split up by oh, right. that scene where Jet is back on the Bebop relaying the information that he's learned, which I think is probably the worst scene in the episode. <laughs> just because it's like, we already know. You, you're just repeating the joke we had last scene. <laughs> yeah. It's just more of him being grumpy. MPU continues talking to Ed and then is shut off. Yes. It is a bit sad when MPU is kind of trying to talk and he's like, oh no, I can't. They're jamming my signal. Yeah. Vanishing off into Alone space. Again. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. So then Ed calls the Bebop. I feel like this is the moment where the plot actually starts <laughs> because everything the Bebop crew has been doing up until now has been completely irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> but that's not unusual for an episode of Cowboy Bebop. I guess it's not necessarily a bad thing if, you enjoy, if you're enjoying the interludes. But yeah, yeah, I quite enjoy the interludes, yeah. Hmm. You're seeming quite negative about the interludes today. Yeah, I guess I am more so than usual. It's, uh, there are definitely episodes where, which are more kind of hangout episodes, which I like more than this one. I'll come back to this mm -hmm. at the end when yeah. we sum up. The story gets more momentum at this point anyway, when Ed calls them and is like, okay, this is what's going on. This is what you have to do. Mm. I liked that little conversation that we have between, you know, the first time that we have the four of them having a conversation with each other, really, through the screen and how they're all climbing over each other to be visible. To, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so we are seeing the view that edward see yeah. and yeah and we start off with you know jet front and center and then spike leaning over him and then faye pushing both of them out the way so if in the end you can just see a little bit of jet's neck yeah and <laughs> faye is just like fully with her face in the front you know obviously with her breasts in view because her breasts are constantly in view no matter what um yep that's true it's important that i throw that that in every episode that i have a gripe about about the feminist drawing of her we discover that somehow the crew will need to get to MPU without using computer controls. Yes. So they have to fly the ship manually. Jet thinks that this will be impossible, which is... Imaginely. Uh, yep. Yeah, but also like waving a red flag in front of Spike. <laughs> this is true. So onto the swordfish he gets, and we have a slightly tenser more quiet scene as mm. the the swordfish is flying towards mpu and the other satellites this bit becomes ridiculous yeah in in terms of the re i mean realism is a mm. silly thing to think about too hard with these kinds of things but like there were literally hundreds of satellites throwing lasers around in a small area yeah 
and yes. they're fine. They just they just do a bit of evasive maneuvers. They're a little bit panicky briefly, but no one is ever in danger. <laughs> yes, it's true. I think it it's a bit tense at first because you have the silence as Spike turns off the engine and yes. it's just kind of manually using retro rockets to yes. turn turn the ship around and try and shoot. And then you get that moment of the satellites have noticed and they've yeah. activated their defense. But yeah, I agree. Once the defense goes on, I like that they tried to do something quite different in this fight. It's nice that you have this different kind of attack, different situation. But as you say, it's very hard to get a grasp on what they're avoiding and why they're not being hit. Yes. I just wanted to bring up my Jet Black Space Dad for oh, this one. Yes, I think we might have the same one. You go. Don't use the missile, it's expensive. Oh, okay. Mine is slightly later. I okay. think perhaps it's a couple a couple missiles later when he goes, oh, the cheap ones are worthless. No, my, mine was kind of a combination of those <laughs> two. Because, yeah, it's such a thing of, now don't break this. It's very expensive whenever you give a child anything if it's slightly yeah, breakable. Right, I think mine is more like, oh, I told you we shouldn't have bought the cheap ones. You know, <laughs> you have to buy quality, which is the sort of thing that my dad would say. Yes. <laughs> but that's interesting because we've gone, those are almost opposing things because you're saying don't use them, they're expensive. And yeah. then he's also saying, oh, they're cheap and worthless. No, no, but that's what I'm trying to say, really, that anything that's even slightly expensive, you kind of lie to the child and make them think it's the most valuable thing in the world because <laughs> that's the only way they won't just recklessly destroy it but then it's actually just a cheap piece of crap right okay um <laughs> spike eventually makes his way to the satellite that mpu is on mm -hmm. and puts up his space parasol to communicate with ed down on earth and yeah mpu once MPU realises it is Ed, they seem to be like, oh, oh, that's okay then. And Ed reveals the plan. Oh, it's okay. We'll copy you and then bring you down to Earth and hand in the copy for a bounty. And then you can stay here and be friends with all of us. Which, um, <laughs> yeah, the ethical implications of that. It's very neat, isn't it? <laughs> but which it wouldn't be yeah yes but also it's like is the copy any less sentient than mpu would be presumably not no so they're just creating and then imprisoning this intelligence that hasn't done anything and handing it over to the police who let's be honest are probably just going to wipe the tape yeah i thought they'd just destroy it yeah so that's pretty horrifying yeah i suppose i hadn't thought about that one of my problems with this episode, and part of the reason why I've been harping so much on the scenes that don't really advance stuff, is that it seems to want you to care about MPU and, like, connect with their loneliness, which leads you naturally onto thinking about what does it mean to have an artificial intelligence, what's the correct way to interact with that. But then the ending just seems to throw all that out and just be like, oh yeah, we'll create a copy and hand you over. And also, all those other satellites they shoot down, it's not clear, but I don't see a clear reason to think that they're any less sentient than MPU. Oh, I, well, I would gather that they weren't based on the way he controls them. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that they're not. It's not made clear. And yeah, I'd say the fact that one moves to protect MPU would seem to suggest either they're not sentient and they're just obeying its orders or... Yeah. but They're like, no, my friend! Yeah, that would be the much more horrifying version of it that. It would be. But even if they don't have sentience yet, they might have that latent within them. And these characters who now know that it's possible for satellites to be sentient are just running around destroying them all. Oh man, the whole AI question you know with the ethics of it being a, a being i mean yeah. i just don't know where to begin with that to be honest with you no and it seems weirdly because of course now we're living through an age where ai has suddenly got much much more advanced mm. when you look at science fiction a lot of the discussion seems to be around how do we treat the ai how are we fair to it and, and that, that seems to have been the discussion until fairly recently, I would say. But now that it's arrived, that all seems to have gone out the window. It, all the ethical stuff seems to be around, like, how do we protect people's jobs? How do we protect ourselves from this becoming sentient and killing us all? I, I'm not really hearing anyone talking about, do we have an obligation to this thing? And I think we're probably not there yet to the point that we do. But anyway, 
sorry, just things this episode made me think about. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting. It's an interesting debate, but I'm just, yeah, I would really struggle to to continue it just because I've never really thought that hard about it. And yeah, it's 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 too big. Um, we've just got the very end of the episode to oh, wrap yeah. up. So we actually get the Big Shot show comes back. Yeah, and I'm a big pleased. fan. I'm a big fan. It's, it's as good as I remember. Love the characters. Still great. And I liked the discussion wrapping up this search for this particular bounty that the authorities have actually decided that a bounty has to be qualified in a very specific way and the, a copy of a digital file, effectively, yeah. it won't count. Uh, and I really liked the male presenter doing the reading out, the disclaimer, oh, yeah. <laughs> that started off with the energy of the characterization that's all, you know, a bounty has to be defined by blah, 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 yeah. blah. And then they just keep going and going and going. And then... The... And he pushes his hat up to scratch his yeah. head. He's <laughs> and just gets cut off by the other presenter to be like, basically, we get it. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to pay up. Yeah, They're not going to get that's the bounty. The, that's the crux of it. Yeah. So next we have... Ed yelling at our crew to honour their promise. And Jet's like, Ed's talking about a promise. What's she talking about? Yeah. And uh, Faye is, promises are made to be broken. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. Line. And then we get a reprise <laughs> of Ed's skills piloting someone else's ship from afar. Thankfully, more skilled this time. More skilled, but, but very dangerous. Yes, it, it definitely. It looks like they're just going to crash into the ground. Yeah. Yes. For, yes. For for quick context, Ed is down on Earth still and wants to be taken up onto the ship, and has hacked the ship to force it to land. Yes. On, on Earth. Yes, and they're all just inside, going, "Why is this happening?" And then Ed is very pleased, <laughs> uh, unfazed, really, and <laughs> gets on board. It's a lovely piece of animation as well. We complained about not having really our bearings on things with the satellites firing in space, but this is just like you know. It's a beautiful landscape, and the, you definitely mm. get the sense of the Bebop being moved against its yes. will, and the fun of Ed kind of yeah. controlling it. And the music's lovely in this bit as well. It's kind of this very upbeat, jazzy piece, lots of kind of bright notes. Yoko Kano said of this piece, which is called Car 24, she was in New York when she had the idea for it, and she said, I felt I must go right now to see the sights. So I rented a taxi for a few hours. That taxi company was named Car 24. The New York that I saw then became that song. Hmm. Which That's, is just nice. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice little anecdote. A couple of things I noticed about just this little final scene is I enjoyed Spike's grumpy interlude saying, you know, three things I hate, kids, animals, women with attitude. And why have we got all of them on my ship? <laughs> and at pretty much the same time, you get Faye going, hey, you're a girl. Yes. About Ed. And actually, I've been shifting pronouns constantly through this yeah. because they appear to be a they, really. Or, you know, mm. you couldn't say either way. But then you get that very definitive, oh, it's a girl. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. Little Although... add -on. Unnecessary, really, for, for actually our generation watching it because non-binary characters would be very welcome. Well, for... Decent people. Yes. yes. Um. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this and, and you don't agree with that concept, then um, sod off. Yeah. We don't want you. Um, <laughs> yes, but interestingly, it's Faye who says you're a girl. Ed never confirms one way or the other. She just kind of laughs. That's true. Yeah, I, I, I'm still inclined to refer to them as a they. Yeah, I'm. I realise I'm saying she. I am as well. I'm uh, shifting. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to get that hung up about it because it really doesn't seem to matter to Ed. Mm, um, that's true. And that's, yeah, uh, and, and effectively that is the most important part is that do they care? No, yeah, seems and not. Ed, Ed doesn't really seem to. Mm. They've given themselves a male name, um, uh, yeah. which is interesting. But yeah. then I think they've just, it does kind of seem like they've just strung together some random sounds that they liked. Yes. Um, yeah, because yeah, Ed tells us their full name earlier yes. on in the episode when just before they give a name to MBU. And it's a very long name, which she gave herself. Edward Wonghao Pepalu Tivruski IV. Oh, wow. Did you write that down or do you remember it? Which, which do you think? I think you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I do. <laughs> and Ed, of course, introduces themselves as Ed is Ed, which mm. again is quite neutral. Mm. But yeah, I think it's it doesn't seem to be important to Ed no. how they're perceived. And yeah. But she's definitely going to be perceived by a lot of people because she's drawn a gigantic smiley face on South America. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which you'd have to assume that's killed some people. Oh. Really. <laughs> it's so huge. It's like two eyes and a big smiley mouth across literally the width of the South American continent. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd have to assume the... Lines are hundreds of miles wide, let alone their yes, length. Um, that's a good point. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good thing everyone's living underground. That will have hopefully kept the death toll down to merely the tens of thousands. Um, <laughs> oh, that's dark. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, clearly you're not supposed to think that's what happened because no. Ed's actions don't have the physical consequences that anyone else's would. No, and, I, and throughout the episode, Ed never hurts anyone. No. All of her actions are destroying things, Yeah, but out of the way of human collateral. Yeah, there's, there's no malice to her actions. No, at not at point. all. No, it's just, she just seems like she wants to play with people. Yeah, she's lonely yeah. too. Mm. Well, I don't get the impression... Well, maybe she is, because I guess she wanted to... That would explain why she wanted to join the crew of the Beer Pop. It's like, let's find a ship full of the saddest, loneliest people in the galaxy. Oh. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Then they'll have to be friends with me. (laughs) I just wanted to say a little bit about the cheerfully post-apocalyptic setting. Mm. So this show was made about 50 years after World War II, and it's set about 50 years after the gate incident. So I was thinking maybe to us, the idea that like you have this post-apocalyptic setting where everyone's living in the ruins, it seems jarring that everyone's so cheerful after this awful thing would happen. But when you think about the trajectory Japan had after the Second World War, because the end of World War II in Japan is one of the most horrific things Mm. I can imagine anyone living through. But then, you know, by the 90s, it's very advanced technologically. People are living a very long time. You know, it's not perfect. Nowhere is. But just the idea that the apocalypse is something that's already happened and that's not going to stop us living our everyday lives. Mm. I wonder whether that was informing it. Mm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, because it is a very, it's a very gentle post-apocalypse, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you don't get a sense of people, you know, dying from awful plagues and things that have rent the atmosphere or anything like that. Yeah, people no, are just living. There's no like gangs roaming around, you know, no killing each other for yeah, resources. There's no on Mad Earth. Max. It's, yeah, no. it's it's not Mad Max. You okay to do rankings first? Your okay. <laughs> Hmm. I'm not sure. It's getting harder, isn't it? Is it is getting harder. Yeah, the longer the list gets, I have to, you know, go through and remind myself each of the things. Ooh. Hmm. I think I think it's going to have to go like bottom half. I'm looking down the list of the names of the episodes and going, "Oh, I think it's worse than that one that I've put quite low down." <laughs> mm. Which is surprising me actually because I didn't I didn't hate watching it at all. I didn't I wasn't as annoyed by it as you were. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I don't want to give the impression with these rankings that we think that the episodes near the bottom are terrible. I don't. No. We haven't seen anything that's terrible. No, this is like, true. I think. Yeah, I, I don't know how it would be for you, but I think for me, if I was giving these a mark out of ten, nothing's getting less than a six. Like I like them all, mm. but it's just which ones do I think are exceptionally good, and which ones can I identify some yeah. problems with? And yeah, because I think at the moment. I'm thinking it might go at the bottom. Mm. Yeah, I was considering putting it there. Actually, I was fairly sure I was going to put it there going in. Right. But then you seem to enjoy the kind of, the meandering stuff I had a problem with, you seem to enjoy and find value in in and of itself, which made me think maybe it's not time wasting, maybe it's just not Mm. working for me. Well, because I was was thinking about just the experience of me watching this show the way I am. Effectively, I'm creating like a sacred space when I watch these episodes, unlike most things that I would watch. And I think the way that most people watch TV, you look at your phone, you chat with people, 
you might pause it and go and do other yeah. things. Or that like I'm not doing those things because I'm deliberately paying attention. And for that reason, I am getting more out of it than I would from mm. other things. So yeah, in that in that sense, I can be paying attention to the things that give me a little smile. Mm. And therefore I'm placing more value in them than I would in yeah, other things. So yeah, it's it's an interesting I've I've never done a watch of something in the same way that I can think of, you know, where I've actually been sitting and having to think analytically at the same time as well. Mm. You know, aesthetically and analytically and just on a entertainment level, I've I've never had to think that hard mm. about watching stuff. I never did a, a media no. degree. I did that with books. I yeah. did an English literature degree. We both that's how Sam I and I met for context. Yeah. We yeah, we both did an English literature degree. But yeah. So we're used to overthinking things, yeah. just not not uh not anime. Yeah, yeah. as much. <laughs> well, you're not anyway. No, particularly not me. But yeah, I think it's gonna go at the bottom of the ranking still. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh so that makes your bottom three honky tonk women, heavy metal queen, jamming with Edward. Yes. Mm. Which is exactly the same as yours, if you're about to put it at the bottom as well. <laughs> well, I was. So now I'm really thrown because I came in, like I said, I came in fairly sure I was going to. Mm. And then you talked more positively about most of the stuff that annoyed me um, <laughs> and kind of made me reassess it. And then you put it at the bottom, which is like, oh, okay. Um. Yeah, still compared to other episodes, I didn't get as much from it. Like, I think that there are things from this that I hope mm. I get more of. Like, I want MPU to continue to exist. MPU is never mentioned again. Damn. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think in theory, MPU is just hanging around on Ed's computer for the whole rest of the show, but it's never brought up again. That's kind of a shame. Yeah, it is. That's another reason, actually, why the sudden turn from caring about AI to complete callousness about AI at the end of the episode really bugs me yeah. because I know we're never going to see it. It now just again. makes Ed seem manipulative, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It does leave a slightly foul taste in your mouth thinking about that. Mm. My bottom's Heavy Metal Queen, and I think there's more here than Heavy Metal Queen yeah. to discuss and to think about. But at the same time... I got more joy from Heavy Metal Queen. Yeah, Heavy Metal Queen's quite fun. I came across very negative on that episode as well, and I now I think I enjoy it more than it came across. Okay, I will put this bottom then. So this time, we are going to have a little look at character design now that we've met all of our main characters. Do you want to start off with Ed? Because Sure. I, I mean, are you happy to go first? I'd rather kind of hear what you have to say first before I bring in... Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because I, I come in with the uh, blank slate and then you can say, oh, you're entirely wrong. Um, that, that's definitely how I think of your mind. Mm. Just a blank slate. Thank you. So, yes, the character design of Ed. They are very different in terms of their portrayal compared to the other three crew members yeah and i did really enjoy that shift like i said earlier that they bring a lot more energy and the physicality like the effort that the illustrators had to go to to make their movement work mm. was enough to make me think wow they've actually put so much time into doing that that it's noteworthy compared to the average if you think of illustrations from 30, 40 years ago, where characters move very little because yeah. it's a lot of work to keep drawing and redrawing, limbs moving and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Ed is moving constantly and mm. all of their limbs can be moving at the same time. Yes. And in ways that don't me quite make sense on a human. Yes. <laughs> Ed moves like they have no bones. Yes. Very much a contortionist. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, which is why I I enjoy the little moments like typing with their toes and walking on their hands. It was fun to watch and that the illustrators had put that much energy into it felt yeah, like I I respected that. She does definitely bring a very different physical energy to the mm, show. To yeah. The other characters. I guess also yeah. like children do kind of have that quality as well of they seem to move in different Adults, as as you get older, we move slowly. We're more lethargic in the way we move, and we're more efficient with our energy. Yeah. Whereas, whereas children have no fear. And yeah, we'll move quite a lot just to for the joy of doing it. Yeah. Just on the topic of their physicality overall, because of the way Ed, um, their kind of hacker persona, 
uses this emoji face mm. quite a lot that pops up on other people's screens and yeah. also that big smile that they draw onto the surface of South America. It's emulating their own smile that is pretty much constant yes. throughout, even when we had moments when you would think they might be disappointed by the fact that you know the Bebop crew, for example, weren't going to come and get them, yeah. but instead decided to, you know, she took control of it. She doesn't seem to be phased by anything. She's very happy-go-lucky. And we've only seen her in one episode, but... No, but yeah. there, there is a little bit of sadness when she says, not coming, it's kind of in this slightly quiet, weak voice, and you do briefly go, oh, but then she just gets over it immediately. This is true. No, nothing seems to long-term upset her. Yes. Just a fun little fact is that she was designed based on Yoko Kano, Oh, the musical composer. Yeah, I've got a quote. Oh, yeah, I should mention who the character designer is. He's Toshihiro Kawamoto is his name, and he's like an industry veteran. He's done tons and tons of stuff. He started out as an animator and then kind of was gradually given responsibility for designing characters as well. So he's definitely responsible for look and movement a lot of the time. He said about Ed. There is a rumor that Ed was modeled after Kano Yoko, and that rumor is true. <laughs> I first heard from the director, Watanabe Shinichiro, that Kano was the kind of person who rolls on the floor of the mixing room when she wants to go to sleep. She's just got so much energy, so I modeled Ed after her. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think I can be like that. <laughs> yeah, a bit. <laughs> you're, you're like that. In insofar as a real person can be like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> if, if I had as much flexibility as Ed has, then I, I would be a circus performer. Yes, probably so. Yeah. yeah. Also, when, when we mentioned that she was kind of the most anime-like of the characters, mm. maybe just and most Pokemon-like, you said, she's got much bigger eyes than the rest of them. Yes. Um, yes, I noticed that right at the end when she was on screen yeah that i think that's the first time we probably see her without the goggles and stuff oh, maybe yeah, yeah. or something i don't either way i noticed how big her eyes were you also see her eye superimposed at one point over uh, over the visual of mpu which is kind yes. of this cool moment of these two consciousnesses which are kind of halfway between organic and computer meeting in the middle yeah. but then we never see mpu again i know oh disappointed by that revelation Sorry. And also, like, she's, she's often drawn without a nose, which is very unusual for this show. Right. Yeah, because with Faye, you really notice when her nose is pointing in different directions. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she has a very pointy nose. Yeah. Actually, Should we move on to Faye? Sure. You go first again, I think. Well, I mean, I have expressed previously that she's drawn uh, in a frustrating way because it's just highlighting sexy, impossibly anatomically curvy so i was thinking about yeah the different ways we see them move and you will see phase walking movement mm. in a variety of ways because they're highlighting her wiggly sensual walk and her boobs are visible in pretty much every camera shot regardless of what view i think like i was thinking about this really consciously through this episode we've just watched so there's a shot where Faye and jet are making their plan to go down to Earth. And so we're actually looking up at them as though they're looking down on us being the map or something. And you can see Jet's head. That's it. You can see Faye and half her boobs. Ah. Uh, and, yeah. it, and it's just those moments where that's an active choice to make sure her boobs are in shot. And that happens a lot. Yeah. While I do have problems a lot of the times with the way the camera kind of leers at Faye... I do think there's more thought put into her design than simply making her a sex object. Her outfit is very, as well as being very skimpy, it's very brash. It's like this bright yellow colour. She often has this bright red lipstick on and her purple, purple hair. hair. Yeah. And it's very much an outfit. It's not really a vulnerable outfit. It's more an outfit which says, here I am, what you're going to do about it, which is kind of the way she presents to the world as well. Yeah, uh, but I, that would be the case for you know, female superheroes that have a very strong outfit. It's not shying away from, you know, their sexuality, I suppose. Um, no, but it's... I'm more thinking about other anime characters than superheroes, but there's plenty of anime characters who will have an outfit which is completely sexualized in a way that makes them more vulnerable and that won't be part of their personality at all. Right. 
this i'm not gonna you know try and say it's perfect or anything it's not it's clearly designed you know to be appealing to the male viewers but i wouldn't agree with the idea that that's all it is there's also kind of the hardness of you you talked about how pointy her nose is she's got kind of quite hard lines on her eyes as well and her Mm. face and even her hair are generally drawn very sharp which also fits with this you know she has quite a barbed tongue and uh, is a bit crafty and also she kind of she sometimes very consciously walks in this you know um sexy yes thank you way but there's also plenty of moments where she's drawn kind of just slumping around and like when she's not actively doing something she's kind of lazy and heavy in a similar way i noticed that when we see faye the first time in this episode she's just sat on the stairs doing her nails and she's wearing something much more casual but i mean they're still short shorts and and like a shirt thing or something like that but then as soon as the, the bounty is announced she appears in the next shot in her yellow oh yeah yeah which I, so, I thought was just a little note in terms of, yeah, if her work outfit is the yellow one, effectively. That's kind of what I'm getting at a bit is that a lot of the time it feels like it's something she's using to get an advantage on people rather than something that's necessarily what she wants to be or thinks of herself as all the time. Mm. Like, you know, when in Ballad, when she gets into that opera house, there's definitely a strong element of who's going to say no to a beautiful woman. Uh, oh yeah and she is as a con woman that is women use that to their advantage because yeah that's that's a very known yeah yeah because it 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 makes perfect sense in in that world of if you're if you're gonna be a con woman it really helps to get your boobs out (laughs) men are easy in that in that in that sense (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) okay who do you want to do next let's do jet okay Jet is one that I think of all of the ones we've had progression to see has he changes the most from episode to episode I think Yeah I see particularly in the early episodes he mm. is drawn a bit differently Yeah yeah and I, again with this one I felt like he was sort of a slimmer harder version of him than I remember from before but, I, I yeah. wonder whether what it is is that he's just there's no point in this episode in which he kind of tries to use his size to impress or intimidate anyone, mm. which is something he often does. So that tends to make him look a bit bigger. And yeah, fuller. and I think when that happens, it does feel... It, if you were to take two shots side by side, I think that he would look like they've actually drawn him bigger in one compared to the other. That might well be true, yeah. I'd never thought about that. But. Yeah. And in this episode, because he spends the whole time... He's he's very slouchy and grumpy in this episode in Jamming with Edward. So he's always making himself smaller in yeah. a way. As much as we talk about the jet black space dad, he's quite a grumpy teenager yeah. really through this one. But I would say prior to this, he is quite typically, I would imagine him with a little smile on his face, mm, like a yeah. slightly knowing smile. He he does have quite a warm smile as well at times. Yeah, yeah. and no, and normally I imagine it as those moments when he's admonishing Spike, but also knowing full well that Spike's going to do whatever he wants anyway. There's that kind of yeah parental warmth there. Yeah. Um, although when he looks intense, he can look very intense, which mm. I guess is maybe more what you'd think his face is designed for. Like he's bald, he's got the kind of tech and scarring on his face, and mm. he's got the the Wolverine the Wolverine beard. Yeah. yeah. And I noticed a moment in this episode where I very de- clearly saw these two like triangles of beard coming out either side. Yeah. He's just very much somebody who's got a presence, a very strong physical presence, but doesn't always use it. Yes. He probably uses it less than Spike or Faye do, really. Yeah, he spends a lot of time... There are episodes where he's physically involved in the altercations, but he does spend more time up on the ship. Yeah, which is interesting given how he's drawn to be such a physically intimidating presence you'd have thought having him on doing the collar would make quite a lot of sense but i think it might just be he's the one who's prepared to do all the other aspects of the job whereas spike and faye are only prepared to do the fun running around oh, see, well, i wasn't sure if, if jet missed doing the fun right because he's the veteran isn't yeah. he which we get in earlier on a bit of context where his backstory is concerned but yeah. he's done all that when he was a you know a kid in air quotes and that maybe he's just, I'm done with that bit now. I'd quite happily sit up here while you go and do the dangerous bit. 
You might be right. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. And yeah. he has to get involved in the dangerous bits when, you know, Spike oh. fucks up. <laughs> yeah, it's not that he's unwilling to or anything. It's just that he usually doesn't. Yeah. And you, we see him, you know, cooking and looking after plants and he's sort of doing his retirement. This uh, is his retirement plan. Yes. Yeah. There's also, there's a unaffected, I think, casualness to Jet mm-hmm. that there isn't really to the other, like... Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Like his clothes don't look fancy at all. They're just practical overalls and he's not making any attempt to hide the fact that he's bald or get some kind of prosthetic instead of his, you know. Yeah, and he doesn't hide the way he feels, which no. translates over with those visuals. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, in terms of how he interacts with people as well. Yeah, there's a lot less pretending. Yeah. Which probably brings us on to Spike. Hey, all the pretending. Mm. I'm a big, strong man. I'm a sexy, young, strong man. <laughs> I mean, he is quite sexy. <laughs> I mean, whatever floats your boat, Sam. He has that um, physical stance when he's in scenarios wherein he has to be the intimidating one. Mm. Then his posture is always very big and broad. And that I think his posture shifts a lot. Yeah. And that shows you his mood. But it's also, it's only big and broad when he's really like, gloves are completely off, which often doesn't happen until quite a way into the fight like he's also very lithe and you know cat-like and yeah but I, I guess i'm also thinking of those moments when so in jamming in with edward when you have that moment where he decides ah this is a fight that's worth getting involved with he gets excited because there's a challenge and it's gonna oh, be fun yeah. and you see there's a, I'm, there's a shot you see a lot of over the shoulder shots of spike mm. because it's that slightly mysterious i'm looking off this way but i'm you can see the curve of my mouth from over my shoulder because it's slightly sexy and interesting mm. and that you see those shoulders again coming out i think actually it's it's interesting you said that can i give you a quote from keiko nobamoto who is the series story editor go for it so, like the head writer basically so she said the characters drawn by kawamoto san are all alive it's not that they are the same as living people but that these characters are all three-dimensional for example the back view Looking at the back, you want to see his expression and you imagine what he looks like. You imagine his past and future. Ooh. I mean, that, that came across then. That's working for me. Yeah, it's without any prompting there. Yeah. Uh, specifically mention the way Spike looks from the back. Yeah, he's, yeah you always see him over the shoulder. Or, or, Often, yeah. Yeah, yeah or, or his back. Yeah, walking away. Yeah, and he's always kind of acting and hiding a bit as well. Yeah. So, like, you know, he spends a lot of time with his eyes closed or very able to, again, quite like a cat turn on a dime from being kind of a puddle of laziness to, you know, every muscle is perfectly ready to do what it needs to do. Yeah, yeah. His outfit is really well chosen to go along with that because he wears his suit with his, you know, the tie loose and the mm -hmm. collar undone and all of that's kind of saying, I don't really care what I look like. But at the same time, he puts on a suit and smart shoes every single day. Oh, yeah. That, that's a very deliberate choice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I can think of men who do that. <laughs> there's, there's a fair amount of Jeff Winger in Spike, I think. Yes, yes. I think that's a very fair comparison. <laughs> From community, in case that required context for anyone. We've done all the big four, haven't we? Oh, we haven't done Ayn. Uh, He's a cute, fluffy corgi and I like him. Yeah. That that's pretty much all there is to say. Yeah, um, I love corgis. But just one note again: Keiko Nobumoto, the series story editor, asked that there be a corgi in the show, so that's why there is one. Okay. <laughs> and um, Toshihiro Kawamoto actually got a corgi, so there was a real life model for Iron that he got to work with because he was he was struggling to he was kind of used to seeing bigger dogs and stuff, so right. he was he got a corgi because it just made it easier to yeah. And it is, it's very recognisable that it's a corgi. Mm. You know, I think if you were to look at other cartoon dogs, they could be any dog. Yeah, the breed isn't always clear. And they're, they're often a lot more anthropomorphised, whereas Ayn does just look like a dog, yeah, basically. Yeah, very uh, clearly yeah. a corgi. Like, he's got expressions, but they're, they're dog expressions. They're not human expressions. Mm. It's very well done. We've kind of commented before that, you know, the supporting characters will often mm. make or break an episode mm. or, you know, really be the thing that stands out. Like, yes. we can think of attention-grabbing characters like Twinkle Maria Murdoch or, you know, VT or all those people like The pet that. shop owner. The pet shop owner. She's, yeah, one of my favourites. Yeah. But I think, as well as there clearly being a lot of thought that goes into those very visually arresting characters, there's 
a lot of thought that goes into everybody, even background characters, like you were talking about today when you just saw the mm. people in the train station. Mm -hmm. There's not really a strong requirement for any of those to be have as much thought put into them and their surroundings yeah, and their background. Yeah, as we there can is. see them for five seconds and we've got a full backdrop just yeah. for them. And kind of, yeah, know what know what their vibe is. They stick in our minds. They make the world feel populated. Yeah. Even yeah. like Zebra and Giraffe from Sympathy for the Devil as well. They're not all that distinctive, but when you think the brief for those two characters, what they've got to be is basically two middle-aged men and then how different they look and how much mm -hmm. personality is conveyed through their look. You've got an animator here who clearly cares an awful lot about making this world feel real. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he did actually have quite a lot of latitude to work. So he was he was working from very minimal instructions that would change constantly. Like he was told when he started working on the main characters, just draw something to start off with, I was told by the producer. <laughs> and he apparently just got, the, the impression he got was that the characters should feel hard-boiled. And that was about it. Right. But then he also said, he was asked once, did the character designs change much from the prototypes to the finals? And he said, in the beginning, I was asked to make other designs, but in the end, they returned to the original designs, which I find like that kind of resonates with, do you remember when we were talking about the music? We said a lot of the music was written and then they kind of worked the show around including mm. it. Mm -hmm. That feels similar to this, where it's kind of like, we've got something really good that's been made. Mm. We'll just work with what there is and work it in somehow. Yeah. So just watched the preview for episode 10, um, which, oh, what, what, what was it called? I, don't, I didn't see that. Ganymede Elegy. Ganymede Elegy, thank you. Um, and we're getting some backstory for Jet, mm. which is interesting. Very different energy, again, because that seems to be a constant theme. Yeah, the energy does shift every episode, doesn't it? Like Absolutely. Dramatically. So that this one seems like it's going to be quite a poignant one about some, I mean, a lost love or a new love that he's going to lose. I mean, definitely, I feel like he's going to lose it. It doesn't seem like the music that was alongside was was not, you know, it's melancholy and yeah, wistful. And, yeah, yeah, very much. So yeah, next time we will have our first jet episode, uh, a jet episode, if you will. Oh dear. You will not, as it turns out. <laughs> Uh, so have you got anything left to say? Um, no. No? Okay. So there is in fact nothing left to say except see you space curmudgeons. Oh, it's a good choice. I like it. Yeah. 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 I yeah. had space computers lined up, but then... That's, yeah, because that's, that's what I was thinking it was going to have to be. I could, that's what I was thinking. Or space CPUs. Yeah. But, but yeah. Oh yeah, that would fit too. But yeah. space curmudgeons. Yeah. It's good. Well done. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at realfolkreviews at gmail.com, look up our Facebook page, or find us on Reddit at u slash therealfolkreviews. Thanks for listening.